Last Sunday, we began a a series called A Growing Faith, and last week I tried to uh, help explain, I guess, the idea of faith, because oftentimes when we think of faith, we think of something magical. Um, And what I was trying to point to was the idea that uh, faith is a relational word that... uh, I try to give examples of like the Packers losing faith in, uh, you know, what's his name, Crosby, their kicker, or the Broncos losing faith in Matt Prater or Raheem Moore. Uh, yeah. I'm glad somebody understands what I'm talking about. I wish we didn't know what I was talking about. Um, and there's this idea that when you lose faith in something or someone that you end your relationship with them, you, you, you at least change your relationship with them. And that uh, in growing in our faith with God, it's really growing in our relationship with God because faith is the basis of our relationship with God. You see that in that famous verse, John 3, 16, where it says we come into relationship with God through belief, faith, trust. And so without faith, you have no relationship with God. But with faith, you have relationship with God. And the idea of church life, the idea of showing up here every week, the idea of, of, of being part of a congregation is to grow your faith. It's to grow your faith in God, to grow your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you might have seen in, in the uh, announcements before, you, before we begin that it, it says our goal as a church, our mission as a church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can't do that without growing faith. And so this series is, is focused on how do we do that? How do we grow our faith in Jesus Christ? How do we grow our faith in God? And last week I ended with five things that Andy Stanley uh, brought to my attention. Uh, uh, practical teaching was one of them, and that's what we're going to look at today. Is Practical teaching plays a big role in growing our faith. Well, before we get into this morning's message, would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I hope my voice cooperates today. <clears throat> Do you ever sit in a class uh, in high school? In middle school, in college, uh, maybe as part of your ongoing training for your job, and you wondered, when am I ever going to use this? Maybe you're a teacher, and you've got students, and they come up to you regularly like I did when I was in mathematics, and I thought, when am I ever going to use this? And quite frankly, most of the trigonometry, the geometry, I didn't take calculus because I was too dim for that, but... I I don't use that stuff. And so it was a legitimate question at some level. When am I ever going to use this stuff? And sadly, churches are full of people, probably, who ask the question, when am I ever going to use this stuff? Now, that's probably because pastors like me don't do a good job of teaching congregations like you. I mean, we've all been there, right? We've been there during the boring sermon. I've preached some of those sermons. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) We've all been there though, right? 
We've been in those sermons where we are rebuilding, if you're a, a, a carpenter, a builder, you're rebuilding the church in your mind. You're like, oh, if I had this to do over again, we'd make it this. You've been in those sermons where you're busy looking at the floor and you've counted how many loops of fabric are in. The... We've been in those sermons where you're looking up at the ceiling and you've counted how many ceiling tiles there are. How many? Sorry. We've all been in those church services, haven't we? Now you're engaged. We've all been there where it's just like, oh my goodness, is this ever gonna stop? This has nothing to do. It's nice that he knows Greek and Hebrew, but I don't care. I mean, it's interesting what was going on with the Israelites and the Hubasites and whomever, and I don't really care. What does this have to do with my life. And we've all been there. We've all been in a situation where we're just scratching our head thinking, boy, if I could have this hour back, whether it was in math class, whether it was in science, whether it was in church. And sadly, when they poll people in America, they're finding that more and more people, especially young people, I mean, it's well over 50% of young people don't see the church as having any relevance in their life. None. Zero. And then we sit around, we wonder why our culture is going the way it's going. And I think, sadly, to blame for that is church people and pastors. Because instead of talking about where the Bible and your life and faith and God and your life all intersect, churches often talk about, you know, sacredness and holiness and doctrine. And and those are good things. But some people don't like a church like this because there's not quiet and there's not reflection and there's not, you know, a pastor with a robe on. And did you know that those are all intentional choices? (laughs) We're not just making this up. That these are all intentional choices that I choose to dress this way because uh, you wouldn't be, you'd be amazed how many people have decided to come to our church because they thought, I have got to go see what it looks like to see a pastor in jeans. <laughs> I've got to see this. I've never seen this. I've got to go see what it looks like to see a pastor who's not wearing a suit, a tie, a, 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 some kind of robe over him. Whoa, that was an intentional choice on my part. Fortunately, you guys are okay with my choice. If you weren't, we'd find other people, I guess. <laughs> or I'd find another church. That's probably the way it would go down. I'd find another church. All these are intentional choices, though. And, and part of it is, you know, let's be real. Let's be honest. Let's talk about what, where life and faith and the scriptures and all those things intersect. And let's try to, to, to really focus on especially application. Let's focus on what does this mean to me? Because we've all been there. We've all been in that trig class. We've all been in that geometry class. We've all been, maybe haven't been in microbiology that I took in high school. I have yet to use a Petri dish ever again. <laughs> so how does, how does relevant practical teaching grow our faith? I mean, you might wrestle with that because one of the things I wrestle with sometimes is there's this tension in church world and it's throughout everything is the balance between education and entertainment. And I have a professor who is a curmudgeon 
If you don't know what that word is, look it up. Uh, but he is no fun. That's kind of a short way of putting it. Uh, when the Broncos won their first Super Bowl, he's not a football fan. And me and my buddies were all in there on class on Monday. And we're like, yeah, the Broncos. Ah, and we're just going crazy. And we got our Bronco gear on. And we went to Dr. Grotice's class. And we're like, oh, no. He's going to, like, get on his high holy horse about the, how unethical it is to play professional football. And that was the year that Steve Atwater went and blew up like three people and all of them ended up, you know, unconscious. <laughs> and like, you know, luckily nobody, you know, lost the ability to move or anything through that hit. And we're like, oh dear, he's going to just get on his high. Ho-. And sure enough, Dr. Grotice got on his high holy horse about how none of us should be football fans because we're Jesus followers and blah, 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 blah. And and we just started, you know, slinking down in our seats and, you know, trying to cover up your Broncos gear. And you're just like, oh, is this, when is this going to end? This is no fun. And sometimes that's how churches make people feel with teaching. Churches can be curmudgeon places. Churches can be places where it's like, how does this apply to my life exactly? Because we've all been in those kinds of classes. We've been in those kinds of churches. And so what I want to wrestle with today is a couple of passages of scripture uh, where Jesus, who I think is the master teacher, if you want to learn how to teach, if you want to see some amazing teaching going on, watch Jesus, listen to Jesus. And these are the words that he shares at the end of one of his first sermons. It's found in Matthew chapter seven. It's the ending to his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that starts in chapter 5 of Matthew and goes all the way through chapter 7 of Matthew. And years ago, um, I preached this, preached through that, and we'll probably do that again sometime because it's just brilliant. It's Jesus at his best, if that's possible. Um, so here's Jesus, and he ends this sermon with some application, Okay. So if we're going to preach and teach and do church like Jesus did church, and he didn't do church, he did mountain, okay? But if we're going to teach and preach the way Jesus teaches and preaches, you got to end with some application. Now, here's how Jesus ends it all up. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Did anybody grow up in church world singing a song about these verses? I am not going to sing that song. No, because it'll be stuck in your mind the rest of the day. Notice the yellow. Put them into practice. Now, what has Jesus been talking about in this sermon? He, he's talked about forgiveness. He, he's talked about adultery. He's talked about lust. He's talked about anger. He's talked about divorce. He's talked about loving your enemies. He's talked about cutting your hand off if it causes you to sin. <laughs> He's talking about worry and not doing it. He's had all sorts of teaching about how to live your life. And at the very end, he says, if you fail to put this into practice, you see, there's a lot of scholars. There's a lot of debate in Bible literature and they're all going, did Jesus really mean these things? But when you get to the end of the sermon and he says, if you don't do them, which kind of makes you think, yeah, I think he meant, meant these things. I think he really meant it when he said, if you haven't committed adultery physically, but you lust after a man or a woman in your mind, you have committed adultery with them. And people are like, oh, that's just too much. I mean, how could Jesus expect us to live up to that? I mean, that's just, oh, what a 
he clearly didn't have good-looking women back then or something, you know? And you think, how, how absurd that Jesus would expect that of us. But at the end, he says, if you fail to put these things into practice, if you put these things into practice, you're like a wise person. Uh, and then so when he says, uh, maybe you haven't killed anybody, you haven't murdered anyone, but if you're angry with your brother, and you call them a name, Raka, which I won't translate that because I'll get fired. If you call them a really bad, you know, kind of vulgar, nasty name, Jesus says, it's just the same as killing them. It's just like murder. And you're like, oh, there's no way. I mean, he can't expect us to not, you know, swear somebody out, curse somebody out when we feel upset with them. I mean, come on, Jesus, that's really hard. Then at the end, he says, failure to put my words into practice. Building a life on sand. We haven't seen that verse yet, but you've heard the song. I mean, when he says, do not worry. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, first century, you know, yeah. What did they have to worry about? They didn't have a car to maintain. They, you know, they didn't have jobs like we have jobs. They didn't have my boss. Uh, You know, they didn't have all the pressures on life that we currently have on our lives. They didn't have computers. They didn't have smartphones. They didn't have sound systems. They didn't have all the things that we have. I mean, of course, worrying back then was no big deal. Jesus couldn't possibly mean, don't worry. I mean, does he know all the stuff going on in my life? Does he know all the stuff going on in the world? Does he have any idea? I mean, there's just no way he actually means, don't worry. And then he gets to the end of the sermon. He says, anybody who puts these words of mine into practice. You see, when we read this and we sing the little song, we don't really think about what we're saying or reading sometimes, do we? I mean, we all think we're that wise guy or wise gal in this song, in this verse. But are we? Are we really? Well, that's not the point of the sermon. The point of the sermon is, being, having practical teaching in our life and how it grows our faith. And what I think is going on in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is saying, if you had perfect faith in God, if you had perfect trust in God, if you really, really, really believed in God, then this is how you would live. If you really had faith in God, then you wouldn't worry. If you really had trust in God, then you wouldn't lust. If you really trusted God, then you wouldn't be angry with your neighbor to the point that you would curse them out, even when they're not present. If you really believed in God, then you'd love your enemies. If you really believed in God, you wouldn't gossip and have stuff to say about other people. You see, I think that's what Jesus is saying. If you really had faith, if you really believed in God, if you really trusted God, this is how you'd live. And that's the whole point of the sermon, to grow our faith, to grow our relationship with God. And then he ends it with saying, if you don't put it into practice, you're like a foolish man. Now, it's interesting because when I end a sermon, I usually try to end it on a high note as opposed to a low note. (laughs) Here's how Jesus, though, 
says it. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And then he compares that, contrasts that to the next guy. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. End of sermon. Have a nice day. I mean, it's really, he's like, oh, I don't, you have something nice to say, Jesus? I mean, we usually end on a high note and inspiration, you know. So go out, do it. And here's Jesus. And if you fail to do it, your house is just going to crash. Have a nice day. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. (laughs) Right? I mean. But you know where he's coming from. It's really clear. And see, that's one of the hallmarks of practical teaching. It's really clear. It's clear what's expected of you. It's clear what you should do. It's clear. It's one of the hallmarks of practical teaching. Nobody can ever go and say Jesus wasn't terribly clear. I mean, there's a few times that it's obtuse a little bit. There's some times that we get lost and we're like, huh, what's he talking about? But when he preaches a sermon like the Sermon on the Mount, it's clear. It's really clear when he says, if you lust after someone, it's like committing adultery in your heart. Anybody not clear on that? What that means? It's real clear when he says, if you're angry and you curse your friend out or your enemy out, it's the same as murder. Anybody not clear on what Jesus is getting at there? Now, you're clear. You know what he means. You may not like it, but you know what it means. That's one of the hallmarks of practical teaching. It's clear. Another hallmark of practical teaching is it moves you to application, just like what Jesus is saying here. He leaves his sermon with you having to make a choice. Because you and I, when we read this sermon, are hearers of the sermon. And we're being brought into what that audience felt at that point in time in history. And we all have to make a choice. In fact, the last few verses, the last few parts of this sermon, there's four contrasts, compare and contrast, that Jesus sets up. And he says, I am the gate. And he says, narrow is the gate that leads to life. But broad is the way that leads to death and destruction. And it's like... Which you're going to choose. And there's all these different choices that Jesus sets up in this sermon, and it's driving you to a decision. And if you've never made about a decision about Jesus other than he's a nice guy, you don't know who he is. Because you can't come to the scriptures and read about this nice guy and not see how mean he was. And if you don't see that, you're not being honest with who Christ is. Yes, he's loving, but he's also exclusive. That's why adultery is so to Jesus and to God, because marriage is a picture of the relationship of God with his people. And when we turn away from God, we're called adulterous people. And when we turn away from our spouse, We're called an adulterous person. And it's not what God wants. Because it it destroys that picture that God has. That he's given the world in marriage. I mean, if you think Jesus gave you marriage to be happy, 
good luck with that. <laughs> he gave you marriage to be holy, to be a picture of his relationship with us. And you may not like what Jesus has to say, but it's clear. And it's very clear what he is expecting of us. And he drives us to decision. You know what happens when you hear practical, clear, relevant, driving you to a point of decision kind of preaching? It makes you mad. That's my experience. Sometimes the sermons I preach, I get mad at myself. Gosh, I can't believe that's what Jesus expects of me. That is ridiculous. Emotional health? I mean, come on, the Broncos lost. It's stupid. Come on, God. I mean, pfft, you've clearly never been a fan of any team before. Right? I mean, how can we expect to be emotionally healthy when the Broncos let us down? And that's a really small letdown, by the way, right? Because some of you have experienced way bigger letdowns than that. And, and we have not responded very differently than we responded when the Broncos let us down, when a spouse let us down, or a child let us down, or a church let us down, or a society let us down, or whatever it is. Sometimes we just don't respond well. Sometimes I make myself mad with what's coming out of my mouth. Sometimes I listen to sermons. I listen to a lot of sermons. I love to listen to sermons. It's one of my favorite things to do. I know that's weird. Get over it. I listen to sermons, and it's entertaining to me. But at the same time, I can't tell you how many sermons I listen to. I'm like, oh, ah, ooh, scalpel, no anesthesia. This is not good. It's no fun. In fact, I think that if you're not at least mentally wrestling a little bit in a sermon, I'm doing you a disservice because Scripture, when anybody opens up this book, when anybody opens up the word of God, it, as Hebrew says, it is like a double-edged sword. It, it is like, a better translation of that would be, it is like a scalpel separating cancer from non-cancer, separating sin from holiness, and it just gets in there. You see, this was Jesus' experience when he would preach. In fact, there's this really interesting story. It's the first sermon he ever gave, and it was in Nazareth, the town he grew up in. And he goes in, and, and it's a, it was a great sermon from the point of people who like short sermons. I mean, it was one of the best sermons ever preached in, in history. He went in. The attendant brought him the scroll of Isaiah. Because back then they didn't have little books and stuff. And so they get this scroll. And Jesus is like finding a spot, you know, where he wants to read from. And oh, not that way. And so he's finding Isaiah and, and the passage in Isaiah. And you've got to understand, a, a scroll of Isaiah is a big scroll. And it's probably not the full book on this big scroll. And so everybody's watching Jesus, you know, just a second. Let me find my place. And so he finds the place. And he reads. And then he says... <laughs> This is, this is the whole sermon he preaches. These words have been fulfilled in your hearing today. And then he quit talking. And the people didn't like the sermon. Even though it was short and sweet and to the point, they didn't like the sermon because they didn't like what he was saying. He was saying, I am the fulfillment of this person in Isaiah. 
me. I am Messiah. I am God. And do you know how they responded? It's in Luke. I've got the, the verses up on the screen for you. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Anybody share that Jesus story with you? It's not a VBS Jesus story, is it? They didn't like what he had to say. They understood what he had to say. They didn't like what he had to say. Now, it's interesting. If there's some pushback in you when you come to church on Sundays, if you don't like what is being shared, is being preached, is being taught, is being uh, discussed from God's word, then that's a good place to be. That's a really good place to be. And you need to be glad that you are in a church, I pray and hope, that has practical teaching. I thank God for the church, Terry Hills Community Church, that I grew up under. And I remember the very first sermon. I, I remember to this day parts of the sermon that I heard at that church when I was in sixth grade. I do. I mean, it was a powerful sermon. And he talked about dinosaurs, and he talked about God. And my dad, when we got out in the car and we drove away, my dad was like, holy cow, that's like the first. And this is Mr. Church. He grew up in church all his life. This is the first sermon I've ever heard in my life where it seemed like the pastor knew what he was going to say before he got up and started saying it. Because we've all been there, right? And even the preacher's like, I don't know where this is going, but let's see what happens. And then he starts hitting things, and, ah, and it's like, oh, my gosh, can we just get this over with? And I lived, and I studied, and I was in a church where every week they just brought it. And I went to Bible school. I went to, well, to Bible school. I went to Colorado Christian University. And did you know that my doctrinal classes there and my New Testament class and my Old Testament class, I knew the stuff. And how did I know it? Because I'm brilliant. That's how I knew it. <laughs> because I went to a church that taught it. And I was sitting in there with other kids who grew up in the church. And they're like, man, I don't know how. And I'm like, you went to church, right? Yeah. You, you, you've never heard of stuff? Huh. Did you breathe at church or what happened? I mean, I was just dumbfounded. And then I went to a church like their church. And I realized, oh my gosh. Yeah, I wouldn't pay any, I wouldn't pay any attention either. This is ridiculous. And I wondered, why don't you find a church that has good teaching? Because they're out there. They exist. And I was just, oh, I, was, I am so thankful for Dr. Jim Dixon and Dr. Bob Belts that I sat under growing up and what I learned from those men. Because it was practical. I didn't always like it. There were times I sat there and I thought, spotlights are on me. <laughs> How did he know? I haven't told anybody that. What's going on? Everybody's looking at me. Why? Your palms are sweating. When is this going to end? This is painful. I am not enjoying myself. But then you leave and you're like, okay, God, you kicked my tail all over the place in front of 3,000 other people. Thank you. 
But I needed that. I needed practical teaching that corrected me. I needed teaching that told me, Steve, your choices that you're making when you're 16 years old matter. If you're 16 years old, 17, if you're anywhere between, you know, zero and 100, your choices matter. And how you're living life matters. I had pastors who just burned that into my head, and I didn't like them burning into my head, but they did it. And that's what practical teaching does. Now, the frustrating part about practical teaching is you can be super practical. And everybody go, man, that was a great sermon. Good job. We really like that. Well, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do tomorrow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have fun with that. See, some of you are hearing yourselves right there. I can see. <laughs> it's like, oh, that hit a little close. <laughs> That's the crazy thing with teaching. It's like paint. Stay with me here. (laughs) Unapplied paint is useless. Just like truth. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. The only way paint does any good is when you paint with it. You use it. You put it into practice. See, I'm married to this health nut woman. I love her. She loves me. She puts up with me. I know how to eat right. I do. I've been taught stuff. I've been hounded. I've been nagged. I know how to eat. I've read books. I've been convicted at different times. I know how to exercise. I've like watched videos. I've followed along every once in a while. I mean, I, I know we've got a treadmill down in our house and I watch my wife on the treadmill and I know, hey, I can do that. I've got two legs and it looks like all you do is this. And then you push buttons and, you know, if it gets too fast, then I can slow it back down. If it gets too step, I can make it go back. I know that stuff. What's wrong? The problem is, it doesn't matter what you know. It matters what you do with what you know. The goal of church isn't for you to know more stuff. In fact, most biblical scholars say that the American church is the most educated church in the world, but the least applied church in the world. In other words, we've got all the diet books. We've got all the buckets of paint. I mean, we got all of this stuff available. My goodness, go online, go on to iTunes, go and look up the preaching that is available for you to download, and you will wonder why you ever show up here again to hear me. Because the preaching that you can listen to for free anytime you want online is astounding. I mean, do you even know the riches that are available to you and to me in books like John Stott's Basic Christianity that we're reading this month? Do you even know the riches? And do you think that God in heaven is going to be like, well, it's okay. I mean, I understand. Life's hard. Now, it's important that uh, before I get, you know, making fun of all of us again. 
there's an order to these things, and you have to keep this order straight. And if you get it out of order, it'll mess everything up. There's an order to obedience. We obey God after we experience his grace. We obey God after we've experienced his acceptance. That's really important because if you get those mixed up and you think, I obey God so he will like me more. I obey God so he will accept me and listen to my prayers and do what I ask. Then you're not believing the gospel and you're hearing a try harder message and that's not what this is. You see, the reason we obey, the reason that we need to grow our faith is because of how much God loves us, because of his grace. It's always worked that way. With Israel, do you know when they received the Ten Commandments, the big rule book? After they experienced God's rescue out of Egypt. It wasn't before. And many of us think it's before we experience the rescue. We often think, well, the reason the Broncos lost is because I sinned last week, and so that's the problem. That's the problem. Uh, The reason I'm not getting what I want in life is because I just keep messing up, and God hates me, and he's got it out for me, and I just need... No. We get it backwards, and we think, okay, if I do these things, then God will accept me, love me, help me, listen to my prayers, let me into heaven. And the order isn't that. That's all messed up. It's completely backward. It's a lie from Satan. The order is... You're accepted and loved by Jesus Christ through his death on the cross and your belief, your faith, your trust in him. And then because you're just so grateful, because you're just so blown away by God's amazing grace, you obey. That's the order. And don't ever get that mixed up. Always keep it that way. This isn't about trying harder. It's interesting I think being married has been one of the best things for me in my life because I would have continued to be an 18-year-old fool had I not gotten married. I'm not saying that's the case for you all who aren't married. That's just the case for me. And being married, I found that there was stuff that I had to do, but I didn't want to do it. Like we had a cat. I didn't like cats. I liked Marnie, but I didn't like cats. Her name was Lily. What a dumb name for a cat, right? I know she's there. I know. (laughs) We had cat Lily, and do you know what my job became? To empty the kitty litter. I don't even like cats, man. If I was smart, I would have sabotaged the whole thing somehow, but I wasn't smart. Yes, dear. So we had a cat. And my job was to take the kitty litter out. Now, why did I take the kitty litter out? Because I wanted Marnie to like me? No, I had already got a ring on her finger at that point. Did I do it because I loved the cat? No. Cat was irritating. Had some psycho problems. I mean, more than your typical cat. I did it because I loved Marnie. It was a response to my love for her. It was, it was a tangible, real-life way to paint. I will show you my love for you in that I will take out this. 
don't like this. I'm not an animal lover. You all know that. I wanted a fish, okay? When they die, you just throw them down the toilet and get another one. Big deal. So we do things sometimes because of duty, don't we? And sometimes we obey God because of duty. It's my duty to obey God because there are things he says. Don't cuss people out when you're angry with them. Don't lust after good-looking people. Uh, Don't put your hope in material possessions. Be generous. Don't worry. Don't gossip. And I think, oh, Jesus, but all those things that you just mentioned are kind of fun sometimes. And we have to go, I'm going to obey because it's my duty. I'm going to obey because I'm going to act out in faith that what God has said is true, that this is the best way to live, and I'm going to step out in that, and I'm going to put it to the test. And as you step out in faith, you find out that your faith grows. And God honors our obedience. He does. He honors our obedience, and we grow in our relationship with him. So here's the practical application. Are you painting? Are you on the treadmill? Uh, Do you know a lot about those things? Or are you doing those things? Are you putting Christ's words into practice? Do it, and your faith will grow. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that uh, Jesus is not obtuse and just really difficult to uh, understand what he says. Thank you that he talks to us, that his words even today jump off the page and are relevant to our lives because we wrestle with the things that he talks about. And thank you that he keeps it simple. Thank you that he puts it really clear that if we will put his words into practice, we are wise. If we don't put his words into practice, we are fools. Thank you that Jesus loves us so much that he keeps it simple and clear. Lord, I do pray that each of us would look at ourselves and maybe come up with a couple things that we know we need to do and apply because we are grateful to you and we love you. But for whatever reason, we're just not doing it. Holy Spirit, speak into our hearts and lead us into obedience. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And may you never decide to throw me off a cliff. Amen.